Hello there, and welcome to episode 10 of There's Still Time, the FTN podcast. We're doing our second of our special round tables, and joined, as we were for episode 9, by my co-host Steve Pander. Hello, everybody. One of the driving forces of Curva Collective, Zachary Meissenheimer. Good to be here, Michael. AFTN writer and Vancouver playboy, Jay Duke. Greetings. Another one of the driving forces of Curva Collective, Massimo Cassano. Thanks for having me back. And I'm your host, Michael McCall, and we're bringing you this podcast from the Alpen Club, which is on Victoria Drive and 33rd. Number one place in Vancouver for all your German meals. They have some wonderful TV coverage of all the games. Check them out at vancouveralpenclub.ca. So we're going to start this podcast by talking about Wednesday's Voyager's Cup game against Montreal. It's good having Zach here because Zach, as you probably saw from the video, gave our riveting not that riveting because they didn't win but he gave a, a fairly riveting pre-game talk to the Whitecaps dressing room uh, before the, the first leg game in Montreal how did that come about Zach? I think the essential of the, the story is this is at uh, the last home game we were uh, approached actually by Zach Ratcliffe a videographer from the Whitecaps uh, came by during the game and said hey after the game I want to come by and shoot some stuff for the uh, players in-house pump-up video for the Montreal game. Um, we said, sure. He, he came by. Uh, we shot some stuff uh, in our section. Uh, he went over to the other corner with our friends in the south side, shot some encouraging words from them as well. And that was all that I thought was going to happen. And then um, my son and I made the trip to Montreal. I think we just tweeted in the morning, you know, we're on our way. When we landed, turned my phone back on, and there was a message from everyone's favorite PR man, Nathan Vanstone. Just saying, hey, when you land, can you give me a call? And so, called Nathan, as we're waiting for our luggage. He said, uh, the gaffer has a request for you. Can he call you back at this number? And I said, yeah, sure, of course. We're just driving to the stadium. And uh, so as we're sitting in brutal Montreal traffic, going nowhere, Martin called and just said, uh, you know, we were hoping to, to have uh, you and, and someone else come into the dressing room for the home leg and uh, just share with the players what this means to you as supporters, what the Voyager's Cup means to you as supporters. He said, but I heard you here in Montreal. He's like, I know it's short notice, um, but, you know, could you make it here? Could you do that today? And I said, well, I said, you know, uh, I could do it today. I could do the 29th. I could do both, whatever you want. <laughs> you know, when the, when, the, when the gaffer comes calling and makes a request like that, it's kind of easy to say yes. And so I said, the only thing, Martin, is I don't know if I'm actually going to get there in time because of how bad the traffic was. And he said, okay, we'll just text us when you get here and we'll see where things are at. And so eventually we made it through some really brutal traffic. And so I had maybe about 45 minutes just to sit in the back of the car and think about what I was going to say. I wasn't driving, luckily. And uh, just thought over some of the, a few things that I thought maybe would be meaningful. I got to the stadium. Um, my sister uh, was there with us and she, my son got our flags and stuff through security met up with Nathan Vanstone. Uh, he brought me into the bowels of the, uh, the house that she's built there in Stad Saputo, and, um, which is a beautiful ground, actually. 
met uh, a few old friends from the Impact, like Adam Braz and Nick DeSantis. Had some interesting conversations with them. And did, did anyone spit on you? Uh, no, uh, Neville wasn't there, so I was safe. But uh, no, the, the gaffer just came out and said, "Hey, what are you going to say?" And so I kind of just gave him like a brief, just outline of the things I'd been thinking about. And uh, to be honest, the, the only thing that was really sticking in my mind was, we need to do this for the first time. And I, I hadn't, you know, I didn't think I was being crazy original, but I kind of had forgotten that Martin had been. This had been his thing in the media. Like, we want to beat LA for the first time. We want to beat Portland for the first time. We want to win this for the first time. So I didn't realize how unoriginal I was being, but that was the thing that stands out to me the most about this competition. And um, so I just kind of gave him a brief synopsis. He said, that's good. I said to him, I said to him I'm not going to go in there and like yell and like scream and like that's not kind of how I am uh, in that kind of setting. And he said, that's not a problem. He said, that's fine. I said, how long do you want me to talk for? Uh, you know, a minute, two minutes. He's like, yeah, that's great. And uh, he said, don't come in. He said, the players are going to be in the dressing room. I don't want them to see you. Uh, he said, just stay here in the hall. No one's going to be coming out. Uh, Nathan will come and get you because I'm going to be ending kind of my team talk by saying, and we have, a, we have a guest here who wants to share with you how important this is to our supporters. And uh, so uh, as I'm talking to Nick DeSantis, Nathan pops his head out of the room and says, it's time. And uh, I walk, you know, walk in the room, put my bag down, and... Um, the rest, I guess, is on YouTube, I guess. And uh, so it was, it, was, it was surreal. It was just kind of a surreal moment because, um, yeah, I, I, I know uh, I've met all the players before and I, I know some of them better than others, but I don't know them in that context. And so being walking in there and, and just getting a sense of where things were at was kind of it was kind of crazy because. Uh, even though you, you get a glimpse of it when they walk, like they walk in front of our section two or three, two or four, and you get a, a sense of you know how focused they are in the game and how like amped up and ready they are for it. But it was something. It was like totally. It was totally different to be in that room where they're all in that place. And Martin has just given his words of like, we need to do this. This is the plan. I realized right away that like the seriousness of it. And so I, I guess I just tried to have that tone like serious yet meaningful and encouraging and so um and as i looked around the room you know a little bit you <laughs> as i was looking around the room i felt i felt a little, two things i felt one i don't know if what i'm saying is really meaningful or connecting with with some people and at this, but at the same time i also felt a great connection i think in general of like okay like they're they understand kind of the perspective that i'm sharing and they understand how important this is to us as as supporters um in vancouver it, it was a fantastic moment. I, it's nothing that I've ever seen done before. I mean, maybe it has been. Uh, it's just so unusual. And I think because this competition means so much to the to the hardcore Whitecap supporters, that it, it was great seeing that. Just to throw this out to everyone, the Voyagers Cup. Now, some of the crowds this season haven't been fantastic in in Edmonton, Toronto. Can't really remember what the crowd was like in Montreal. I know it wasn't super fantastic, but then looking at their game on Saturday against Philadelphia, they don't seem to have got a very good crowd for that either. But what do you think it would take to capture the imagination of just a general fan? Do you think they've bought into the Voyagers Cup? Do they, do they think they actually understand what the importance of it is? Or is it the, the North American sports culture where it's just the, the league and the playoffs that's really just the most important thing to people? I think for the general audience, it seems like it confuses them a little bit. Though. Why are they playing for a cup in the middle of the season? 
I think that's the big thing. I think they it's just not been related to them to how important this one is so far. I don't know. You guys could probably <coughs> elaborate on yeah, that. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree with that. I mean, those that aren't in the, you know, football culture or, or follow what goes on in Europe, for them it might be something that they're not used to. But even regardless of that, it would probably take some time. In addition to that as well, you know, the the article that you saw from Catholic Kelly regarding, you know, the, the meaning of the Voyager's Cup and how it was probably better for Toronto to lose it, uh, you know, those things don't certainly help. But uh, it's... I hope people appreciate this competition as more than just a passage into the Champions League. Mm-hmm. You know, I want it to be more than that as fans. Yes, we're only at four. It's only a four-team competition now, and you know, maybe as a as a player, you come in and say, you know, I'm playing in this little Mickey Mouse four-team, you know, uh, knockout thing. But you know, I think there should be some pride in being the best team in Canada. And yeah, you know, our professional structure isn't there yet. But if Ottawa comes on board and more NASL teams come on board. You know, this we can lay the groundwork for what hopefully can be uh, a really, you know, a, a competition and, a, and a, an award and a trophy that's more meaningful in the future. So I think it's important for us as supporters to set that groundwork now, uh, explain and, and indicate the importance of this tournament to us so that the general public can, can get a better understanding of what exactly the Voyager's Cup means and why they should, uh, you know, why they should really care about this result on Wednesday night. Hmm. Maybe I'll be forced to eat my words here, but I'm, I'm actually somewhat impressed with the, the crowds that we have got for the Voyager's Cup I agree. this year. Yeah. Especially in comparison to, to you know, everywhere else in, in Canada, and in that midweek games are generally a hard draw, especially against Edmonton. You know, people are going to, Edmonton, you know, the, the casual fan probably has little interest in that. And I was worried, especially after the first season when we saw a pretty, pretty significant dip in attendance once we moved to BC Place for the second year. I, I'm, I'm quite happy with the amount of 15,000-ish is, I think, a pretty good number. And I think, I, I think at times we don't give our own market enough credit for the amount of people who are, they might not understand the league, they might not follow all, all, you know, all the other MLS teams or anything like that, and they might not quite... They might not all know the history of the Voyager's Cup, but I think a lot of people know that it's it's an unimportant game, and I think that if we do win the game, that it will be a lasting memory for those people, mm-hmm. and that they will then know next year that this is a big deal, and because we'll see a, a Santos or a yeah. Club America or, a, or some other club come up, and we'll understand the, the connection between... The Voyagers Cup, you know, the, the national pride of winning it and getting into the, the CONCACAF Champions League. Yeah, I think we talk about how, how is this going to grow, Michael. I think, yeah, results and, and quality are, are, are really big things. And the results for us as a club haven't been there, which is part of the, the frustration and anticipation of Wednesday's match. Uh, and then the, quali- the quality is also an issue. You want it to be quality football. You want there to be memorable moments. And I think we've had some of those. Some of them have been frustrating, memorable moments. But um, we've had to, like, look at last year. Like, Eric's strike to equalize against Toronto in the first leg was an incredible moment in football, uh, in football in Canada. It, um, it was, because they actually hit the target. It's, I was stunned. Yeah. And, uh, and and even going back to the year before, hit, uh, the goals that Eric scored, the one that counted here or yeah in Vancouver at Empire, the one that unfortunately didn't count. Yeah. Um, well, that was 2011. Sorry, that's yeah. 2011. Sorry, the one that didn't count in Toronto were almost identical strikes, but 
you know, you, you need the quality. You need, you need the results and you, and you need the quality. And I think as those grow and as the tradition builds, it, it will become more and more meaningful. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why. It is a little surprising in, in, in Toronto and in Montreal that there isn't more of a, maybe more of a support for it yet. Toronto, you know, I can understand this year or the number of years there's been a lot of frustration over how things have been run and, and that kind of stuff. So I can see why there would be not a lot of, not a lot of support necessarily from the, the general public. But um, I also think it doesn't help though that the teams are putting out weaker teams because the, the fans will look at that and think, well, it's basically just a glorified reserve game, which the first leg of Toronto and Montreal was. And you're not going to draw thousands of folk to a reserve game unless you're Portland to draw thousands of people to, to well, everything. Yeah, yes, yes and no. Looking at the, the Vancouver-Edmonton League, for example, I think the squad that we put out, especially at Commonwealth Stadium, was a lot stronger than I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I expected it to be a much worse squad. And you know, the fact is, if our reserves can't... I mean, I would expect our reserves to be able to, to handle Edmonton and at least you know, have our reserves deal with them in the first leg and then you know, our, 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 our first team should be able to beat them at home. So, uh, you know, that doesn't surprise me. Edmonton obviously put forth their strongest squad like they should. Toronto, I can understand their focus is elsewhere this year. So I can understand it from their regard. And Montreal, you know, they definitely put out a strong team at home in the second leg. Uh, they just didn't in first. That was probably just a gamble at their part. But I think the, the amount of games is too small. I mean, this isn't like, you know, the FA Cup where you have round after round after round where you can see play some reserves against the minnows and then things start to change here we all it's only two rounds if one game there there's there's some minnows um or if one game there's some reserves we can't really say that's always going to be the case so i i want to see more years of this before we determine that it's always going to be weaker squads do you guys think that there is a better option for the voyager cup format to play later in the season and have that champion go to the next year like the u.s open cup does i know it's that u.s open cup obviously a longer tournament but do you think there's any kind of benefit to doing that? Or do you think it's just going to be the same thing? I think like if you play the Warriors Cup later in the season when there is more meaningful football play, do you have, have a chance to bring in summer transfers and stuff like that? Do you have more depth? I think for, first off, it would definitely help the NASL teams. Mm-hmm. That must feel really weird for them to have played like, their biggest game of the year probably against the Whitecaps, you know, Edmonton's biggest game of the year perhaps, and they're doing it like right at the beginning of their season. That's the fir- That was their first go- home game mm-hmm. of the year, was it not? So, I mean, you know, that's got to be odd for them. And even it's still a little bit weird for the MLS teams too to play, you know, like knockout games so early in the season. Um and to have you know a cup final now two you know two and or three two to three months into the season, yeah maybe later in the year could be possible. But you have to finally balance the schedule because are you going to play the Voyagers Cup at the same time as when the Champions League is currently going on in July or August when the group stage of that Champions League is going on? So does that mean that team is playing in three competitions at the same time? They're playing in the league, they're playing, or one of the teams is playing in the Champions League and they're playing in the Voyagers Cup, which is qualifying for the next year at the t- same time? That would be difficult. Perhaps it's something that runs over a longer period of time. If, you know, when Ottawa joins and perhaps someone else, you know, maybe they make it more of an open cup and you have other teams join in the future, perhaps it's something to look at. But, um, yeah, I would like to see something where there's a bit more attention on it. And perhaps if it didn't happen so early, early in the year, that might help it as well. Well, you're talking about the quality of the sides that are being put out in these competitions. This might not help with the person who's being introduced to football or just kind of getting to know it. 
But when you talk about, okay, uh, reserve sides being played or whatever, the one thing that this, this does create an opportunity for is for our younger players to play in meaningful games. So we've, we've all talked over the years about, wow, I wish Phil had played more. I wish, I wish uh, you know, Russell had played more a couple of years ago. I, I'd love to see Bryce Alderson in a meaningful game for the first team of the Caps. Uh, we were talking earlier today, uh, Caleb Clark. You know, these are the kind of guys you want to see play. And here is an opportunity for them to play in a meaningful game. Um, whether you call them a reserve or whatever, or you you know, whatever, it's a great opportunity to, to, for them to play and for you to support them in that. Um, well, I mean, it, it's not going to come much more meaningful than than the game on Wednesday, hosting a cup final, first time we've ever hosted the the second leg, goalless at the moment, chance to to win the cup in front of the home fans. Who's going into this game as favourites? Is it Vancouver having the home advantage? Is it Montreal knowing that they just need to to draw and get an away goal to, to take them through. Who, who do you think is going in as a favourite and how do you see this game playing out? What worries me about it <clears throat> from a cap standpoint is just that uh, if I'm Montreal and I'm and I'm Shellabone, I'm telling my guys, look, there's, you know, let's go out and play for a cup and th- there's no pressure on you. There, there's, you know, they're not really expected to, you know, they don't have to come out here and do too much. They just need to score one goal, and you know they're probably sitting pretty. From a from a cap standpoint, it, it kind of worries me that that Montreal, especially in the form that they're in right now, they can sit back and wait all day, all game long and just let Marco Devio sit up top and hope to hit something on the break. Um, so it may end up being a, you know a little bit of a boring match by that by that standpoint, but. Surely you'd have to say that if you're the Whitecaps, you like your odds. You're you're happy with being, having a, a a chance to win a cup at home in front of your your crowd on a nil nil score line, and they just and they have to score a goal. So just let them come out and and go go for it. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll touch on that too. The the, the fact that. Um you know, even if this is a game where both of the sides play defensively, I think it's going to be a great, intriguing match because the anticipation of knowing that obviously the first goal is so incredibly important. Uh, I think hopefully the atmosphere in the stadium should be really uh, edge of your seat type stuff to to see what's going to happen here. The fact that you know the Caps really haven't kept too many clean sheets so far this year is what scares me more than anything because I do not think they will keep um, you know Devio, Felipe, and uh, all the attacking weapons that that Montreal have. I don't think they're going to keep them off the scoreboard. One of them, Jebrowski. <laughs> I think what, there's going to be a goal in there for sure on the impacts part. So that means, um, you know, the Whitecaps are going to have to score goals. And whether they push for that right off the bat or they wait to see, you know, how the game goes and, and, and move forward in the second ta- second half to try and, to you know, to try and, 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 and steal the victory, um, I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be a really intriguing contest. I think there's pros and cons for both sides. The, 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 we have the upper hand in the sense of we are we are finally playing this match at home, which I know I've been dying to see for for these last number of years, and so I think in that sense we we do have a, a we do have the advantage. Um, it's also a great opportunity for Vancouver supporters, Vancouver people, to come out and to give, to give their all for for the team, uh, because I think that that will be a crucial element. Um, you know, having been at the first leg last week. 
uh, Ultras Montreal, UMO2. Uh, they do a really good job of giving their all and um, inciting the, an atmosphere throughout the whole stadium, no matter how empty or how full, um, that, that is intimidating, that is meaningful meaningful support for their side. And I think being at home, we need to do that here. So do you think we should get everyone out of their nut and poutine before the game starts? Say that again. Should everyone be out of their nut and poutine before the game starts? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Here. Oh my god. Well, <laughs> no, oh, so, so I think so that's I think we we're at home so we have the, the advantage in that sense. But I do agree that Montreal's league form and the style that they play uh does the, give them a uh, an advantage in that sense because they're in form. The, the game against even against Phil, first half against Philadelphia on Saturday is <laughs> was quite stunning. Um and and they are a counter-attacking team. This is how they have been built to, to counter-attack. They have the tools for it. They have they have the mindset for it. They have uh, the personnel for it. And uh, yeah, the fact that if they score one, we need at least two is is pretty is pretty daunting. And so they, yeah, like Jay said, they could just sit back and just say, okay, let's just play for zero zero. And if we hit one on the break, great. We'll go to extra time. That's what worries me. I personally like I even though you guys are saying that it, they are built for that counterattack. I personally, sitting here in the in a German restaurant, I'd rather see them blitz, um, blitz Montreal with everything they have and pressure them up top. I think you know they're coming from Philadelphia from playing a weekend game. They'll they gotta be tired. They're oh the big they're old Italian. No offense, Massimo. They're old Italian players and they're gonna be like playing on turf and everything like that. So they're gonna be tired. I, I gotta see them, you know. Got, you know, you gotta see them pressured. I, yeah, I, I have, don't want to see them. Have hang the Whitecaps back. really done that at all? No, this year? but that's what I would like so, to see them for once. Sure, I know. Against but, Columbus is the only time you could say that they they were. Yeah, I guess you know I, they, they blitzed them in the first half, but it didn't even end up being that successful. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. the, the, the chance they didn't convert the chances. <laughs> I I don't know if that's the makeup of the of. Of our team right now, I would you know I would like to see that, but I don't know if you know we really have the players to be able to do that. Obviously, the intensity needs to be there, the, the mentality needs to be there that you know we're going to go after them. But just a, a straight out onslaught, um, I don't know if that would be the most successful. I think it will be perhaps a little cagey first fifteen twenty minutes, and that's kind of what I want to see. I really don't know too much what to expect, and so I kind of. Hope there's a feeling out process, and then and then you know hopefully the coaching staff can make the necessary adjustments from there. I think we are going to go a bit more defensive. I don't think we're going to go gung ho. I do worry what's going to happen if Montreal get a goal. Do they panic? Will they have a team out there that's got the ability to change? Obviously, there's some change makers on the bench. I can't see like like Massimo said. I can't see Montreal not scoring. Partly because of the way that they play partly because of the way that we defend. And that's going to then be the telling point. When they score, will, be, will we be a goal up? Will yeah. we be a goal behind by that point? And then it's it's just how they react. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a huge key. I completely agree. I mean, if the Caps have a one nothing lead and Montreal scores, I think we can respond there. Yeah. If, you know, if Montreal gets a goal... 15 minutes in and they're up one nothing. You know, it's a lot different than if Montreal gets a goal 60 minutes in and they're up one nothing. you know? Uh, when that first goal happens in the game, I mean, obviously, whenever you're at 0-0, the first goal is important. But in a second leg like this, when the, the away goal you know, rules is, rule is in effect, that first goal, who gets it and when it happens, that's going to be the key to the tie. My biggest fear for this game is that if we go out and we score a goal in the 
13th minute and what we see tends to happen with Martin Rennie's version of the Whitecaps is that then they just want to control the game once they're ahead rather than really push the throttle and go for it. They just kind of want to stop and slow the game down and control. And my worry is that they never really end up putting their foot on the throat of, of, of Montreal and we end up on some really squeaky bum time in the 60th, 70th, 80th minute uh, and we end up conceding a late goal and losing 1-1 you know, on the away goal rule. There have been those times where we have gone up 1-0. The, the, the difference we'll, we'll, that we'll need to see on Wednesday night is that in some of those, second goal. getting that second goal is taking those chances. Because even yeah. in the games, like we were, ta- we were talking earlier about uh, another, Houston, uh, Houston away. Houston away, had we scored. Or even L.A. last year in the Cup, right? Like, if, if we, we need to take that, that, that second chance. I think now, they did it against L.A. Uh, this yes. home game, which is very important that they've done it recently. They caught that second goal early. The, the one thing that makes me anxious, Steve, if, if they were to go out and impress, uh, impress right away or kind of go, or go gung-ho, like all, all offensive, is in, in some sense, if you do that, you are playing into Montreal's hand. That's what Montreal wants you to come at them. Montreal wants you to push players forward so you can so they can counter. So that's that's where I think I agree. I think Mass that it will it'll be a little bit cagey because they don't want to create they want to play into Montreal's natural instinct. Well, I want them to press so that they score a goal early. That's what my essentially thing is if you score early, then Montreal can't sit back anymore and they have to play out of their game plan and change their tactics, which you know they have to start pressing, and that's where we can get that second goal. And what what it would that's, do for the crowd as well, yeah, yeah. is a huge thing exactly. too. I so, mean, if if Montreal gets a goal early, you know, and knowing that the Caps are going to need two, what's it? You know, is the crowd going to get on, on the team? Um, yeah, if the Caps could get an early goal, what that would do for the atmosphere in the building, I think it would really help the team throughout the rest of the match. Yeah, what that does for the atmosphere, what that does for the people in the building, if we go down a goal is provides us an opportunity to give more, to encourage more, which I know is not a natural instinct, but that's I think that's what we need to do. I mean, that's just a personal thing. But For me, my biggest fear is that if it's nil-nil, both sides have then made their changes, then Montreal take the lead. Mm. Do we then have the right players on the pitch that's going to get us back into it? Well, that, that's up to Martin Rennie because we, we've seen he's generally chosen the more conservative route. Uh, when it comes to those substitutions with Elaine Rochat coming in on the left side and um, you know Brad Russin coming in as a defensive midfielder well I, I acknowledge that he's played defensive midfielder before um, you know perhaps not your first choice in, in that cir- kind of circumstance so I'm gonna go for a 2-1 Montreal win set the tone early so let's get predictions from everyone Steve I go 2-0 Vancouver optimistic Zach? Yeah, I think it'll be 2-3-1 two, two Vancouver. Jay? 1-1. One, one. Montreal wins on aggregate. And Mass. 2-1 Vancouver. Ooh, so I'm the only negative Nelly here. No, so I, I, said, oh, well, yeah. I, I said... You're not as negative. Yes. You're both Nellies. Yeah. <laughs> now, let's look... Don't look at worst-case scenarios yet, but... Well, yeah, what we wanted to look at is the... Going past the Voyagers Cup now, what does you can either comment on both or e- e- both scenarios or either one? It doesn't make a difference. But what does a win or a loss in the Voyagers Cup do to the Whitecaps for the rest of the season? Now we obviously know they go to Champions League. If they win, they get extra allocation money. We all know that. But mentally, 
What does it do? What does it do off the pitch if they win or lose? If the Whitecaps are not successful in securing the Voyagers Cup, they have to make the playoffs. That is, but uh, that's a big gap. That, that is that's a, a big gap of making the playoffs and losing the Voyagers Cup. That's where, like, what does it do? No, I, 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 I'm just saying, no. in terms of in terms of the goals for the season, yeah. or in terms of what I what I will deem a successful season as a supporter. Obviously, the Voyagers Cup is the number one goal. It's the first thing on hand happening, you know, Wednesday evening. But if on the negative side, if they don't manage to get the result in the game. They have to make the playoffs. Otherwise, this season is a failure. Okay, I disagree with that statement in that it is already a stated goal of the club to make a, to have a home cup, a cup match, a home playoff match this year. So I think that I disagree with the statement in principle because that is already a goal. Okay, I, I under, okay, fine. That, that's their goal. I'm talking about me. Oh, I, don't, okay. I don't necessarily okay. agree enough. with their goal. I don't think they're good enough to get a home playoff match. But I'm just saying, as of right now, if they don't win the Voyager's Cup, they have to make the playoffs. I'm totally with Mass on this. If okay. we do not make the playoffs or win the Voyager's Cup, that's a Complete failure. failure. Oh, Complete yeah. failure. Obviously. And then you have that's to, obvious, though. Especially after the last season. If they win the Voyager's Cup, then that <coughs> changes things a little bit. Uh, where they are right now in the standings, yeah, they have a couple games in hand, but it's not a great position. If they're not completely out of it yet in terms of the playoff races, everything's still still there to be had. But does that shift their focus as the year goes on? You know, to the Champions League matches, it will be their first time in the Champions League. They've stated that they want that this is something they want to do. That sounds like they're going to put a focus into it. So if they're going to play their strongest teams in you know games in Costa Rica or Mexico or wherever it may be, you know, can we really expect to have consistent quality performances throughout? The the rest of the league season. Personally, I could live with the Champions League run and not making the playoffs. I would not see that as a step back from last year, uh, but I think I would be the minority in saying that. I think the thing that will happen if we do finally win the Voyagers Cup and then get to play in the CONCACAF Champions League is, I know they said, I know they talked about last year and the things, some of the things they didn't like about what happened in the middle of last year. I could see them adding, not taking away, but adding at least one significant piece to the squad um, to help with the extra fixtures. I would hope that's they a, would add to the squad regardless I, of winning the Voyager's oh, Cup or not. I think that's a great point, though, just in that with if you are to win the Voyager's Cup, you can add without subtracting because yep. you get that allocation money. Of course, we don't know. It's a mystery number. But my assumption would be that it would be a significant amount to, to at least solidify some depth positions maybe get yourself a, a starter in a position where you're 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 lacking a little bit um so even on that standpoint even from a league perspective wednesday is a huge game for us mm-hmm. in that i i really think we're almost at kind of a turning point or, or a potential turning point in the season here because we've lost points we've dropped points where we, we should have earned them yeah. already this year yeah. Yeah. and right now just looking at the at the standings we're second to last, granted, you know, uh, game in hand or two uh, from some of the teams above us. Seattle's just above us, but they've, they've caught fire. S- San Jose is still a pretty decent club above us. Uh, Dallas was, is a surprise this year. They, don't, they look to be for real. Portland looks to be for real. We have a lot of ground to make up on a lot of teams already. We need to not only build our squad with some of that allocation money, but not only that, the following games afterwards, this is a huge... We need to we need to take three points from New York or from Seattle, even if it's not deserved, just so that we can stay in the hunt for a playoff spot. I think, I think the whole thing about the teams above us, I think 
we've talked about it before on other podcasts that those teams are going to come back down to earth. Really? They're going to get injuries. Uh, yeah. they, Portland has not. Portland has. Well, they will. Believe me, MLS. Everybody gets injuries once in a while. But look, look at Portland. All Valencia when he scored was the first guy out of their top five to score a goal. Okay. Nobody's even scored a goal out of the top. Dallas hasn't, you know, fared in. The, they go all of a sudden. Sure, they got a pharmaceutical company as their sponsor, but they're still going to get injuries. Sure, even even <laughs> if even if you know those teams get a couple a couple of injuries and they come back come back to the pack. I mean, there's no there's no nothing saying that the Whitecaps won't get more injuries either. Oh, it's true. And and the fact is, you look at those teams, you say which of those teams is going to miss the playoffs. You know, I. I I only see teams like Seattle and San Jose. I only see them getting better as the year goes on. I don't see them getting any worse. So even if some of the teams that are currently in the top five fall out, the rest of the teams that are not in the top five, I think a lot of those teams are some. There's some pretty good teams that are probably going to get MLS better. MLS well. is too hard to predict. People fall and drop all of a sudden out of nowhere. Sure. It, that's look at Chivas. Everybody was on Chivas. Everybody was slurping the goat's blood or whatever the heck was going on earlier <laughs> in the season. Now, look where they are. They're the bottom of the thing. They could be above us by the end of the weekend. But, but right we're now getting to a scary point where is if, if we go zero points from our next two away games, which is quite possible, away in New York and away in Seattle is a very difficult ask mm-hmm. to get any points from. You're, we're now, you know, what, nine points away from, from Dallas? You know, if they get another couple wins, you're like... You can you can kiss it goodbye as far as surpassing them for the rest of the season. If you look at the table, you've got Colorado above us just now, and they're the team that's really surprised me so far in the West. So you don't know whether they're going to get worse, if they're going to just keep plodding along and picking points up. I think it's going to be really hard for the Whitecaps to to make an impact if we fall too far behind. So if you look ahead to the summer. The squad we have just now isn't good enough, I don't think, to get us into the playoffs. So where should we be looking to strengthen in the transfer window? And what players do you think are going to be the ones that are going to have to move on? Quick, quick question. Have you ever said our squad is good enough? Um, in the three, three years so far? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Okay. Um, I, actually, I, no, I understand what you're saying. I, just... I, did, I did maybe think for the first half of last season, we had a good enough squad. Cool. When you saw the players and the quality that we brought in, on paper, that squad should have been good enough to, yep. to have maintained the run. And we'll never know what would have happened if it hadn't been for, for the tinkering. It was the chemis- yeah. the chemistry was broken in I mean, the squad. Yeah. I, I still don't want to look back too much, but I still don't understand why you bring in a player like the two and then you just let him go halfway through the season. And they've, they've already said they don't want to do the same this year. They don't want to have another summer clear out. They may but, have to. Yeah, they're going to have to. And they've now kind of put themselves in a spot by saying they're not, not going to do that again. Mm-hmm. But either they stick by that and fall on their sword with the players that we've got, or they make the changes and they have to answer all the media the questions one, as the to one, why you're doing it again. The one spot, to answer your question, the one spot I would like to see upgraded is the wing spot. Stop playing strikers at wingers and get bring some wingers in that can actually cross the ball and play be playmakers can finish kind of get I know they're hard to find but try to get all around wingers but instead of strikers that's, that's great to say and I completely oh, agree yeah. because I, 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 I would lo- I, I really would love to have a really true solid starting everyday winger 
But who are they going to cross the ball into as well? Like, yeah. uh, Camilo is the only guy who you've had up top who's been cons- a consistent starter up, up top. Is is Tommy Heineman going to be the answer to to all your questions if you get a proper winger? But maybe the winger is making would make Heineman better to finish the ball. So you got to look at that too. That's true. It's yeah, chicken is egg gonna, thing. Right? Yeah, but is he is he really going to start enough? To get on the end of those wingers' crosses, like like. Well, maybe you know, Maddox it, is affected because he doesn't have proper service from the wide. We've talked about Hasley sure. might have been better if he had proper wingers yeah. instead of the guys. Uh, no offense, Jake. I, I don't think I don't think there's one position where I wouldn't want an upgrade. I mean, center back, I could live with where we're at right now, especially if Demerit comes back from injury later on in the season. We don't know, if, you know, what's going to happen there. But besides that, I mean, wingback seems fine too right now. And, and there's no there's no depth there's no depth, no depth there. but there's the no guy. depth there and you know who knows if an injury comes you know, we talked about during that during the last podcast about you know especially games on the road if we're going to need to get some points on the road and YP Lee's not going to play, play on the road all all the time who are we really going to play there I don't think there's any one position um, you know I guess with with, with the Gershon and Nigel Rio Coker center midfield combination that seems okay but even then behind them if you know when when Nigel's missing suspended against New York. You you know, then your options all of a sudden sudden diminish. In a salary cap world, listen, everything's not going to be perfect. You're not going to have you know abundance of options everywhere. But the fact is, I look at this team. I don't think there is one spot where they cannot improve. I mean, I think improvements could be had or made in virtually every single position, except for defensive holding midfield. <laughs> yeah, I think we have enough there. <laughs> it's when you look around the rest of the league. For me, it still falls down to the main striking position because we are creating the chances. We're just not burying those chances. And it doesn't matter what forward we put in there, they just can't put the ball in the net. You look at Montreal, they've got Devaya. You look at Philadelphia, they've got McInerney. Every team seems to have at least one player that is regularly scoring the goals. Portland have three, and it, we don't seem to have that. And it might come from some consistency if Camilo gets a, a regular run in the team now and he's going to put it in the net. But I think they will look to cut their losses. And if Miller is looking to maybe leave at the end of the season, they'll let him go early, free up that money, and bring in a designated player striker. I think Miller's if, gone. If we sure. win the Voyager's Cup. Either way. No, I think either way, Miller's gone. I think Miller's gone no matter what happens. In the summer transfer window. In the summer transfer window, yeah. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think that's for sure. I, th- I think I'd be surprised if Kenny is back next year. But I... I can't see him. I don't. I don't think. I don't see him as a certainty to leave. He, in the he's summer. gone at the end of the year when he's con- when his contract's yes. up. Yes. Uh, whether he goes anywhere before that, if he wants to go to Rangers, he can't go before that. So then um, he, he can go and train with them, play all the preseason crap as a as a trialist, but he can't officially play for them or sign until September first. But he can go over and have preseason training with them, go on their summer tours. He probably miss a bumper game at Bayview, but. He can probably live for that, but he if they wanted if he if he said I really want to go, I think they would make it that he could go, maybe keep him for as long as possible till towards the end of the transfer window, and then bring in a DP because they have to look ahead to next year as well because they can't keep signing players in the summer then getting rid of them again at the end of the season then bringing more players in then getting rid of them six months later they need to get some players in that they're going to actually keep for a period of time. I think the problem is as well, and it kind of goes back to what you were talking about before, Michael, and that if we're playing a single striker up front, you, you know, there's a lot of responsibilities on that single striker up front, and we have 
a whole bunch of strikers who are good at some things and not good at others and just not good enough to be to, to be that number one starting every game rely on him to to put goals in for you center forward so I, I think that's the one place that they they'd have to go after the I think if the, it is at the expense of, of anybody I think that those that might be where we also lose people you might see Herzog or uh, maybe not Herzog because I think they're high on him and and he does he's young and has that poacher mentality but maybe you see Heinemann leave maybe you see a trade including one of your forward players maybe one of the young guys like Eric Hurtado or something like that who probably has a lot of value around the league well, that's what I was going to ask it's like who do we actually have that is going to interest other teams I, I think Hurtado would be a good one and just in that I prefer Kikudamane to, to Eric Hurtado uh, I just it, it seems like he sees the game a lot better he's also a little bit younger um, supposedly supposedly younger we haven't seen the birth certificate uh, but we if you trade Hurtado I think he still has value around the league and you could get something back for him so I mean, who, who does have value then? I think Camilo has value are you, you're trying I, to get us all to say Darren Maddox, right? I am. Maybe no, leaning towards I, I, that. No, Darren Maddox doesn't have any value right now because he's in that slump. I think the guy, if you want to, if you do lose um, the Voyager's Cup and if you want to kind of rebuild and reshape this team, Camilo would give you value. You get a lot of money off, you get an international spot open, and, um, and you get a lot of return. So I think that would give you value yeah, if you wanted to. I think that. Michael's right that Darren does have value even if he's not in, not in form. I, I, you're not going to get as much as you're going to get with Camilo going. and they're both international players right now too you mean international sport as Spots. opposed to playing he's not yeah. playing for Brazil no he's not yeah, well I mean the, the fact is we're looking on trying to improve so we're all hypothesizing in that you know uh, you know I, I don't want to trade Camilo or Darren Maddox yeah, but the fact is are. if you're going to get something better back in return then I might look at it but until we know what the options are out there uh, I think it's really difficult to speculate. And the fact is, I wouldn't really want to see any changes in this group, regardless of the uh, regardless of the result on Wednesday night, until about another month. I want to yeah. see three 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 weeks more, three four three or four more weeks with this group as is before we can really make a real determination of where the holes are and perhaps who needs to be moved on. Well, you're going to have that too anyways because the summer transfer doesn't open. I know, but even in terms, yeah. of, even in terms of trade. Yeah. The, thing is, the, reason, the thing I'm talking about, Camille, I'm just using him as an example, is you trade him, you get parts for him to build depth, you know, depth and more, and then you use the spot to sign somebody else. That's my whole thing about Camilo, where you would go. And, and it all depends on who, who is available. Yeah. And, and you know, that that is all up to the tabloids and, 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 and guesses. So part of this do, does come back to things that we, I think, discussed maybe in episode 9, is, is, the, is the starting 11, right? Like, knowing you're starting 11. Because if you know you're starting 11, like, if you are confident you're starting 11, yeah. and lots of other people in Vancouver have been talking about this this year and last year, if you know you're starting 11... Then you then, then it's easier to answer those questions of okay who needs to come in and who needs to go to go out and so I think I think in these coming weeks if if that's I think that could be a, a big part of this is do we get a settled side out of this okay we know Nige is not going to play in New York but uh, I think that that's a that's a, a key element to this. Because if you're chopping and changing all the time, it's... It, yeah, you're not going to get it. One of the biggest additions that I think we could get in in this summer as well could be 
it's on the squad already, and that's Daigo Kobayashi. Just in that we've seen glimpses from the preseason and, and you know a couple of the early games that he has the the technical skill, the ability to play here. He certainly went out of form um, for a little bit there. I also don't think he's suited to playing on the wing. It it it, it seemed much different with him when he was playing in a central role. I think just having a couple of your guys, like like both of our fullbacks who have been not quite in form right recently, Daigo Kobayashi, if he's in form, I think that helps a lot as well, and it takes a little bit of pressure off the rest of the club to improve. I think it is going to be a thing. We're going to have to wait to see what the next few weeks bring, and then we'll kind of revisit this in the summer and, and have, a, have a look then. So that's all for this part of the podcast. We're going to end this show with another new section, because we like having these. This is called My Favourite Thing. So, for our first favourite thing, this week we're going to look at favourite years. So, we'll just go around our panel and we'll just get from each of them their favourite year. Could be Whitecaps related, could be non-Whitecaps related. But you're only allowed to pick one. And really, what we're looking for is the year that to you, if you were to look back on your deathbed, because we're always obsessed with death here with our bucket list and this, what would be the year that you'd look back on so far and say, you know... That was my favourite year of watching football. So let's start with Steve. Okay, so originally I was going to go with 86 because of the fact that that was the year that I really started watching football for the first time in the World Cup uh, when Canada made it to the World Cup. But recently, since I've become friends with Zach and everything, and since, you know, Bayern Munich won today, I can mention it today. 99 has become a favorite year for me, just to bug him. Um, that was the year Man United won the treble and won the in the Champions League or Champions Cup, whatever it was called back then, in the extra time. So that would be my favorite year, just recently. And especially when Zach's around. Is that because you've been to so many Man United games over oh, the years? Oh, tons of Man United games. I'm there in spirit all the time. And you've got the Man United bed spread? Yes, I do. And I, yeah, the only reason I haven't gone is because I'm fearful of uh, being beaten up because I am of a different race. I think you're probably okay as long as you don't go in with a backpack. That's probably it. So, Zach, what is going to be your favourite year? Do you want to counter that with some Bayern win? Uh, no. I, uh, Bayern Munich is my first love in club football, but the Whitecaps have superseded them. And speaking in the relational metaphor, I'm more like my spouse in, in, in club football. So... The, the the Bayern so today was uh, the, the Champions League victory earlier this weekend was was great but um, no the Bayern things don't hurt me and actually ninety nine pales in comparison for me what to what happened in twenty twelve against Chelsea partly because of my experience with it but for for me years I, I'd have to say two thousand six two thousand six was an incredibly meaningful year uh, for uh, for me with uh, a couple of things. One, it was the year of uh, my first time celebrating a Whitecaps victory. We won in 2006. I didn't get to go to the final, which was at, I think, Paytech Park in, uh, in Rochester. So I didn't get to go to the final, which kind of sucked. But uh, I did get to celebrate uh, on the 
what's that uh, art gallery downtown there wasn't a lot of people there but I got to celebrate and, and hang out and lift the trophy and that was pretty meaningful the reason I didn't get to go was uh, because I had no vacation left because uh, I got to go to uh, a number of matches at the 2006 World Cup in Germany and um, I used all my holidays for that entire year I spent about four weeks in Europe um, it was incredibly meaningful, number one, because I got to go do it with my wife, uh, which was in- incredibly special. Uh, I ended up going to nine matches at the World Cup, uh, visited about, uh, so that was about six or seven out of the 12 stadiums, visited all 12 of the host cities. Uh, just an incredible time uh, in, in terms of the matches I got to see, including, uh, like I got to see eventual winners Italy, Rob the Australians in Kaiserslautern. I got to. Uh, I was at the Germany Argentina quarterfinal match, which was in the German supporter section, which was just incredible to see a classic German victory on penalty kicks and Miroslav Klose's score. Uh, and then just yeah, traveling around the country, and also because of because of uh, because of the time of the World Cup, I also got to go to Bayern preseason. Uh, so I got to go to Bayern's first preseason friendly of the year, which was minus all their World Cup stars, but that made it even better. Had some really incredible experiences at that little match, uh, and got to visit the Sabnerstrasse, their home headquarters, and uh, got to go see other teams train in their preseason. It, it was just ama- it was amazing. And at the end of the trip, uh, we flew out of London, so I got to visit. The Highbury, not the tour, but just got to go to Highbury and see it before it got torn down and see the Emirates as it was just built. And um, So, yeah, I think that overall that was probably the most overall fulfilling year. And it was a great year at Swangard. It was a great, it was a lot of memorable games in 2006 at Swangard as well. Yeah, I mean, that sounds fantastic. Interesting to hear you say that Bayern Munich's like your spouse because these five's like, no, no, like no, my white, white, white caps. White caps. Oh, white caps are like your spouse. Bayern Munich is like my first love, but the white caps, caps are, are like you, my uh, spouse. See, these five's like my spouse. They get beaten a lot. <laughs> so, Jay, moving on to your favorite year. Yes. Well, my uh, my favorite year, uh, very similar to Zach, in that I uh, traveled around, went to many exotic places. Um, many, many different beautiful and legendary stadiums, stadia. Well, being the playboy that you are. Yes, that's right. Yeah, jet setting around the Pacific Northwest. And uh, I'm going to have to choose the, the somewhat boring and somewhat obvious choice of the, the inaugural MLS year. I, uh, I had only recently moved to Vancouver in the late 00s. So uh, I was never really exposed to the Whitecaps prior to the MLS uh, when they joined the MLS. And that, that really was, uh, probably for a lot of the fans, uh, a pretty magical year, um, both for supporters who had been there and, and seen them through the Division Two years, as well as the new fans who really found something that they could latch on to, like I felt I did. Sitting in the sun in an Empire Field, which was was amazing. And then some of the just amazing moments that, that we got to see with the, the first game against TFC and the uh, Sporting Kansas City comeback. In Seattle, uh, I was there for the for the Eric Hasley wonder goal. And, and even in some of the tough parts of the season, I think it, it really almost... Attaches you further to the to your to the club because not only were you there for all oh, the great sun and the you know easy times in the stands with a pint in your hand, but you know also for those really tough moments with Tommy Sohan and and you know losing fan favorites and and people being cut for you know unknown reasons. It it, it almost makes you galvanizes you to the club at the same time. 
Yeah, that that I think was a season that will live long in the in the memory of of everyone. It was just, it was just some fantastic times, and I've got some happy memories. I I took my my Mexican friend Maria. I took her in the South Side a couple of times, and she enjoyed it. Does Kayla know about that? Yeah, she doesn't like it in the South Side. Okay. So Massimo, what would you say? would be your favourite year yeah and although the answer has been uh, taken by someone else for me it was also 2006 the World Cup was a large part of it uh, being there for for portions of it and uh, going around with my brother and seeing four games was fantastic um, but I think what really brought it home for me was 2006 was the reason why I'm a Whitecap supporter now it was coming home from that experience uh, and made me want to get involved with uh, football at the local level. And um, so that was pretty much the turning point for me in terms of uh, support and being a Whitecaps fan. Uh, seeing those stadiums full of, uh, you know, full of support the way it was, uh, you know, I, it just had me thinking how awesome would that be to see something like that at home how awesome would that be if we could recreate that or or if I was able to support, you know, Canada in a fashion like that one day. And, um, you know, when I got back from that, I, you know, started supporting the local club and uh, was watching with the rest of the Vancouver supporters at Shark Club when uh, Vancouver won the championship in, in, in 2006. And then I think 2007 was probably my first real year as a season ticket holder and went from there. Yeah, I remember listening to the Rochester game. It was like 3, 4 in the morning, there was no stream, and it, it was just weird sitting in my bedroom listening to that, knowing I was coming over. So for me, my favourite year was actually 2008. It was my first full season supporting the Whitecaps, and I got to see both my teams, my old love and my new love, winning championships that year. Whitecaps won the 2008, they won the USL Championship. East Fife won their first championship since 1948 so it was like 60 years since we'd won a trophy and it was a, that was a fantastic moment I obviously they waited till I emigrated and then they, they actually win some silverware but I got the club to put back the, the trophy presentation to the last game of the season so that myself and some exiles could go over and see the trophy presented mm-hmm. then a couple of months later being at Swan Guard and being on the pitch just running seeing the white caps there I, I never thought I would Love the Whitecaps as much as I loved East Fife, and I probably still don't love them as much, but I didn't think I would care as much as I did, and that was just such a fantastic moment, and it just set me on my way to watching the Whitecaps, and it was just a fantastic year all round. So that was that was all our favourite favourite years, so let us know yours, and if you want to record something, get in touch, and we'll put that on a future podcast. that's been episode 10 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to all of the guests for joining us for episode 9 and episode 10. So just let everyone know where they can find you online, Steve. I, can, I write for our Post America and Canadian Soccer News, and you can find me at, at Whitecaps Beat. Zach? I'm a part of the movement called Curva Collective. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary 
AM or the group is at Curva Collective uh, on Twitter and just Google it or search it on Facebook as well. Jay? At J underscore Duke on Twitter and I'm on AFTN. And at Mass Cusano on Twitter or at the, the front of Section 203-204 at BC Place banging the drum. And I'm Michael McCall and you can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. You can read all our stuff online. AFTN is at Canadian Soccer News at AFTN.ca. And if you want to get in touch with the podcast, just send us an email, AFTNCanada at hotmail.com. So good luck to the Whitecaps on Wednesday against Montreal. Hopefully the next time we do a podcast, it's going to be celebrating our first proper silverware and not just the Mickey Mouse Cup that we won. But I did see that one in person. Hopefully I'm going to see the Voyagers Cup one in person. Thanks for listening. Take care. And come on, the caps. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Yeah, but-